Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. There once was a leader of a great nation, a nation that was the greatest of all nations, a nation that knew great prosperity, a nation that was founded in divine providence, but then became divided by belief systems and by culture and ultimately by politics. This leader was a man known for his engaging personality, but he's more well known for his grandiose desire to build big, ornate, and glorious structures. Structures that were like none ever seen before. Structures that revealed his passions, his allegiances, and other structures that blocked people from his people. He was a shrewd business manager, never settling for being second best. This leader was loved by many, and he was hated by many. Whenever someone vocalized opposition to what he was doing, he would attack them harshly. He would use people for his immediate purposes, and then he would dismiss them, often discrediting them. And finally, he uses the law to try to defend his position, but committed horrific actions in doing so. This leader is named Herod the Great. Now here we are just a few short days after celebrating the Nativity of Christ at Bethlehem and we encounter a text which is a little troubling. It's even often avoided in preaching sometimes because this text reveals harsh realities of our human condition and even more so it tears open some of the wounds that we deal with in life. The text reminds us or tells us that after the wise men had left after their visitation of the Holy Family, Joseph has a dream, and he packs up his family and urgently flees to Egypt as there are people seeking his newborn son to destroy him. The wise men had tricked Herod, and Herod was mad. And so Joseph obediently goes. He goes back to the land that had enslaved God's people long ago, a land from which God had redeemed his people, but a land that has been a safe haven on more than one occasion. I remind you that historically God's people and the family of Jacob end up in Egypt begging for food as a famine has gripped the land of Israel. And through Jacob's own son, Joseph, they establish themselves in Egypt. There are many other parallels between the historic presence of God's people in Egypt and our text for today. Like the killing of the newborn Hebrew children by Pharaoh to help to protect his throne and in the subsequent killing of the Egyptian children by the angel of death at Passover, an event that finally breaks Herod's grip of the Hebrew people, allowing them to go and flee into the wilderness and finally to come into the promised land. While Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are in Egypt, Herod carries out one of the most horrific events chronicled in the Bible, the killing of all children two years old and under in and around the region of Bethlehem. Herod carries out this action to protect the threat to his throne because he's been told by the wise men that the true king of the Jews has been born. Herod can only think of one thing to do to protect himself, and that's to destroy the child. So the Holy Family resides in Egypt until they hear Herod dies, and Joseph is again told to return to Israel. But Joseph hears that Herod's son Archelaus is in power and to protect his family instead of returning to Jerusalem or Bethlehem, he travels to Nazareth, an outlander town in the northern country of Israel and in the region of Galilee. And from here we hear only a couple short stories of Jesus as a boy 
until he emerges as an adult along the shores of the Jordan River for his baptism. Now, when we encounter texts like this, they can leave us a little bit uneasy. But the reality is that they reveal certain truths about the world that we live in, a world inhabited by imperfect and broken people, a world that sees evil come to bear. We can read the story which took place nearly 2,000 years ago, and we can certainly and easily relate it to our current story of the world we live in. There are events that happen each and every day in our world that can easily send us into the question of why does God allow these things to happen? Why does God allow people like Herod to exist or to rise to power? Why do bad things happen to good people? I often hear this question in one form or another. Theologians call this question theodicy. It is the apologetics approach of trying to defend God's goodness and his love for all people, even in the existence of evil and suffering and horrific events. And again, we can look at today's headlines and we can easily assert this question. Why? The divisiveness is us as a people in this country at a time in our history when we stand more divided than united. I hear tension in voices as they ask, how do we move past this? What hope is there for my children? When I often hear this question, it is not usually about big world events, but is much more about the happenings in personal lives. In the last couple of months, I have had several conversations with several couples in mid-stages of divorce. I've had conversations with people having suffered or having suffering a devastating diagnosis or are in treatment for an illness. I've had recent conversations with an expectant mother who miscarried and she was devastated. I've had conversations with a high school senior putting his life plan into action to pursue his dreams and having them demolished because he had sustained a disqualifying physical injury. Cancer, heart issues, financial stress, loss of jobs, loss of relationships. We can certainly go on and on. And I often hear, why does this happen? Why does God allow suffering? Now, if we open ourselves to the explanation of the world, you will be told things like God never gives you anything more than you can handle. And some would even suggest that God does not exist because these things happen. So where does that leave us? Where does your hope lie? In mid-November, one of the last nights that we had confirmation before we took a break for Thanksgiving and Advent, the seventh grade confirmation class, which I am honored to be able to teach, had an unexpected rapid-fire question session that came about. Questions that the students had been pondering for some time. Questions that were very good and very deep, well thought out. Questions about trying to understand faith and trying to come to grips with what I always tell them, who God is, who they are, and what Christ has done for them. I had one young lady raise her hand, and she is not one to speak very often. And she said, I've been thinking about why God would allow sin to occur in Adam and Eve when he knows it's going to happen. I don't think he allowed it so that he could punish us. 
I think he allowed it so that he could show us his love and his mercy. That from the mouth of a 12-year-old. One of the best sermonettes I've ever heard. The theology is a little shaky in how she got there, but she certainly drove home the gospel. Friends, we live in a fallen world. There's no denying that. And evil exists in the human condition. But the great gift of a text like this today is that instead of getting stuck on the whys and the hows, we get to focus on the who. Now I joke, this is not the Roger Daltrey who or the Pete Townsend who, but the who of God. We get to hear of the God that comes in Jesus Christ, a babe in a manger. The incarnate God, God with us, and he has come for you. This great gift come down from heaven, the word made flesh, the word that existed before creation even began. And this gift speaks hope into your life when you most need to hear it. So whenever you find yourself asking the whys of something, that path will only lead you to despair because you will never get an answer to your whys. But the good news of tough stories like today is really about God's promise, a promise that perseveres and endures all things. And it is his promise to you that Herod did not win the day 2,000 years ago. And it is his promise to you that the forces of evil that tried to destroy Jesus, that ultimately killed him, but did not win the day. Because it is this promise to you that Jesus Christ not only survives Herod's wrath, but it is God's promise that Jesus came and lived among us. He died for the wrath of our sins, and by his resurrection, this promise ensures you new life and salvation. It is your baptismal promises again that claim you, and it is these promises that we cling to when life is hard and when life is uncertain. Because God's promises are certain. They are the only certain thing in life. One of the hardest parts about our relationship with God is allowing God to be God and trusting that he's in control of all things. That God works in and through all things. And yes, even in horrific events and pain and suffering, God is at work. And often it is in these moments when, e when faith is either tested or it's emboldened. So when this moment comes in your life that you question what is going on around you, which will happen, Christ even tells us this, you would know deep down that God has you, that God foreknew, and that God sent his son for you so that God is in control and that you would cling to the hope of this promise for you that through all things and in all things, Christ Jesus has come. Thanks be to God, and Merry Christmas to you all. Amen.